Welcome to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience The Good Life today. Danny Yamashiro here. Welcome to The Good Life, encouraging you with inspirational stories to share with family and friends from perspectives of hope in Jesus Christ. What is the sacred fire of liberty? Why does that matter? In his first inaugural address on April 30th, 1789, President George Washington said, the preservation of the sacred fire of liberty and the destiny of the Republican model of government are justly considered as deeply, perhaps as finally, staked on the experiment entrusted to the hands of the American people. Dr. Jerry Newcomb, who wrote the book, along with Dr. Peter Lilbach, Sacred Fire, that's George Washington's Sacred Fire, Dr. Newcomb is here to discuss these things. We pause to remind you the reason we have the Good Life Show. Well, my friend, is to, is to share how the love of Jesus Christ makes a difference in the lives of people. The love of Jesus so strong that he died on the cross for your sins and mine. He was buried, yes, but three days later, he rose again from the grave. And we're talking about the living Christ who offers the hope of God. Dr. Jerry Newcomb serves as the executive director of the Providence Forum and as senior producer and on-air host and a columnist for D. James Kennedy Ministries. Jerry has produced or co-produced more than 80 one-hour television specials that have aired nationwide. Jerry is the co-author of George Washington's Sacred Fire with Dr. Lilbach and What If Jesus Had Never Been Born with Dr. D. James Kennedy. He's an associate minister at New Presbyterian Church, Wilton Manors, Florida. Jerry is married with two children and three grandchildren. Jerry, welcome to our show. Thank you, Dr. Danny. Good to be with you again. Why did you and Dr. Lilbeck choose the title, Sacred Fire? Well, I must give credit to him. He chose that particular title. In fact, and I'm glad he did, because uh, my working title would have been something like The Faith of George Washington or Was George Washington a Christian or, you know, something like that. And uh, I thought his was more general and generic, but it also was timely and timeless. And it really hinted at that whole point that George Washington was indeed a Christian. Uh, that that was the whole purpose of the book. In fact, that book that we put together in 2006 really, in many ways, was geared toward re refuting, rebutting a book that had been published uh, actually a few decades before by a Southern Methodist University professor named Paul Bowler, George Washington's Religion or something like that. And the guy, uh, unfortunately, he postulated that George Washington was a deist which is a, basically a non-believer. A deist believes that God has created the world, but the God in, in question is not the God of the Bible, but rather 
a distant god. And anyway, he sort of set up the universe and then let it go. And so he doesn't answer prayer and so forth. But that's not the the God that George Washington believed in. And so our book basically refuted what, what that man had to say. But there's still a lot of damage that's been done by false statements about George Washington. And so it was our goal to show, no, George Washington was a committed 18th century Anglican and all that that entails, including believing in the in the divinity of Jesus, his uh, personal redemption for us, uh, his atonement for us on the cross, his resurrection from the dead. I just posted on my website some photos that I took of uh, Peter and I when we were at the uh, Mount Vernon, which is George Washington's home, right behind George Washington's uh, sarcophagi, his stone coffin, along with that of Martha, is uh, a plaque with the words of Jesus chiseled in stone, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me shall live even though he dies. Very appropriate words, by the way, around this uh, uh, time when we remember Jesus' resurrection. Indeed, indeed, uh, Jerry. When we talk about historical narratives, was there a shift, say, in the last 100 years that moved from sacred to secular that lead to his this this discussion that we're having about absolutely a rebuttal on the the deist narrative of Washington. That was was there something before that that led to the change, and now we're trying to turn it back. Doctor Loback uh, pointed out that the first time that he could see somebody questioning uh, George Washington's uh, Christianity in truth or you know like in trying to do it earnestly was in the 1930s now there were after the death of george washington there was a a uh, someone that was asked about his faith and they you know the the issue came up because sometimes he wasn't always he didn't as as peter marshall do you know who peter marshall was the son of the he used to be in your stomping ground he used to be you know minister in the boston area Mm -hmm. and so forth but uh, he was the son of the chaplain of the senate mm -hmm. he wrote uh co-wrote some books on the the christian roots of america including the light and the glory but i remember why I, I did an interview with with him one time for d james kennedy ministries one of those documentaries you mentioned at the very beginning of the program the name of that spo special was in god we trust i know that or uh, uh one of the guests in that was uh I'm sorry, it was One Nation Under God. That's why I was a little confused. Uh, one of the guests was Peter Marshall, as well as another guest was Peter Lilback. Anyway, Peter Marshall said, Jesus, uh, Washington did believe in Jesus, but he didn't go around talking about Jesus all the time. And I asked Peter about that, Peter Lilback. Mm -hmm. And he said, here's the deal. George Washington had a great deal of respect and honor towards God. And uh, this was such that he would speak of God in very magnificent and uh, Baroque styles, you know, high and lofted, lofty ways of speaking about God. But he absolutely used the name of Jesus all the time. For example, every, you know, Sunday morning at worship, he would get up with the rest of the congregation and they would read off the walls right there on the Rarados, that's the name of a a plaque that's found in these Anglican churches that George Washington uh, worshipped in regularly, and there was the name of Jesus in the Apostles' Creed. 
And George Washington also talked about Jesus in lofty ways where he would say the divine author of our blessed religion or, you know, phrases like that, the supreme ruler of the universe. That's a phrase that it's a paraphrase, really, of one of Jesus's titles uh, as found in Revelation chapter 12. And so anyway, when some Indians came to George Washington and they said, we want our young men to learn your ways, you know, uh, and George Washington said, you do well to learn our ways of life and arts and manner of living, but above all, the religion of Jesus Christ. And another way in which uh, George Washington was constantly using the name of Jesus, he was a huge reader of the 1662 Book of Common Prayer, which was very orthodox at that time. I mean, the if, if you go to a Christian bookstore, well, they don't even have Christian bookstores anymore. But if you were to look at uh, hundreds of Christian books and uh, today, in today's market and milieu and so forth, the 1662 Book of Common Prayer would be more Christian Orthodox, small o, than 95% of what you would find uh, in in the Christian catalog today. I mean, it's just the way it is. Because You know how it is, Danny. But anyway, bottom line is the Book of Common Prayer has prayers to Jesus all the time, all over the place. George Washington not only read that regularly as well as the Bible, but he even had a pocket-sized copy of the Book of Common Prayer, 1662 version, which he carried with him around on the battlefield. He used it uh, when, for example, he gave a funeral service for one of the British generals that was killed in the the French and Indian Wars when the American side was with allied with the British and so forth. Uh, and George Washington said the funeral for this man that was killed. And he used some of the very words I quoted earlier from Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. Say, you know, says Jesus, he that believeth in me shall live even though he dies. So the idea of questioning George Washington's faith, uh, it's not a brand new idea, but it really doesn't comport with the evidence, um, you know, about him. And one last quick comment about that. His adopted granddaughter uh, who lived with them was asked one time after George Washington's death about his faith because he was quiet and reserved and so forth. And she said, you know, you might as well uh, question his patriotism than to question his Christian faith, his commitment to Christ. Mm. When we come back, Jerry, after this break, I'd like to to touch on something more direct. You know, was George Washington a Trinitarian Christian? Let's talk about that and a few other things like the controversy of Deus versus Christian and Deus versus Theus and then specifically Christian and then the controversy and how that impacted the sociopolitical arena at that time maybe even a little bit talking about how that might impact us today. You're listening to Dr. Jerry Newcomb. Jerry Newcomb is the author, along with Dr. Peter Lilback, of the book George Washington's Sacred Fire. A hot topic because we're touching on George Washington's narrative, not a deist, but a Christian. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Wandering the road of desperate life beneath the barren sky leave it to me I'll lead you home 
James 3.13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is brought to you by generous sponsors. Thank you to Coach Dino Babers and Mrs. Susan Babers, Mr. Edmund Jung and Mrs. May Jung, Mr. Rodney Arias Sr., A1A Electrician, Cedar Assembly of God, and the Thursday Men's Breakfast, Boston. If you, your business, or your church would like to support The Good Life with Dr. Danny, please visit drdanny.live. Join our partnership team. That's drdanny.live. Thank you. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience The Good Life today. Pulitzer Prize-winning historian and professor of history and international relations at Penn, Walter A. McDougall writes, Secular historians ignore George Washington's ward, Nellie Custis, who wrote that, Doubting his Christian faith was as absurd as doubting his patriotism. His sacred fire lit America's path towards civil and religious liberty. You're listening to the Good Life Radio program. Danny Yamashiro here. If you're tuning in right now, maybe caught the tail end of that last segment. You can get this program in its entirety. Just go to drdanny.live, Apple, Spotify. Find out more about Jerry Newcomb at jerrynewcomb.com. So, Jerry, was George Washington a Trinitarian Christian? Yes, I would think so. As I said earlier, he uh, you know, recited the Apostles' Creed. He believed it. Uh, and the Apostles' Creed, the format of it, is Trinitarian. Did you ever think about that? It, it basically follows this. It, it, uh, this is the overall outline of the the, the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed as well. But the Apostles' Creed, which is, they believe it predates the Nicene Creed. Nicene Creed, by the way, from 325 A.D. I believe in God the Father. I believe in God the Son. I believe in God the Holy Spirit. That is the the overall outline of the Apostles' Creed. Now, most of the content, of course, deals with number two, the Christology, in other words, details about Jesus Christ, uh, who the second person of the Trinity who uh, came to earth and, uh, you know, lived a perfect life and died for us in our place to offer salvation through his own precious blood shed on the cross, then was buried and rose again from the dead on the third day, something George Washington uh, by all outward appearances, believed in and, uh, you know, uh, had no reason, uh, you know, there's no reason to doubt that he believed that. The, the, some of the arguments some people use against George Washington being a Christian, well, one of the main arguments is that he started to uh, not use communion as much as he did after the war as he did before the war. And Dr. Lilbeck makes a very interesting observation. He says, who was the head of the Church of England? That's a, the, the church that George Washington was a member of, the Episcopal Church, we call it, the Anglican Church. And 
the head of the Church of England was not only the Archbishop of Canterbury, but also the monarch of England, who was the monarch at the time, George III, who was George Washington and other patriotic Americans in rebellion against at the time of the American War for Independence, George III. So in effect, George Washington did break fellowship with uh, George III, and therefore he didn't worship during those times in the Anglican churches. But he did go to church on a regular basis. And uh, so he went to uh, Presbyterian churches and so forth. But he did receive communion. Uh, and in fact, in the book, Sacred Fire, there is a there are a few color photographs, not many, but there's a few. And one of them is the stained glass window of a Presbyterian church or maybe the main Presbyterian church in Morristown, New Jersey. And they have a stained glass window to this day. And it shows George Washington receiving communion at that particular church. And that happened to be during the time of the American War for Independence, when, again, George Washington, out of conscience, could no longer uh, honor George III as as the head you know, of the church. If that, does that make sense? But there's no reason to, to doubt whether George Washington believed the Trinity, because if you believe in the deity of Jesus Christ, I mean, part of the help, whole understanding of the Christian view is how do you even understand that except for understanding that, uh, that uh, you know, the Father is God, the Son is God, that is Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is God, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, the Father is not the Spirit, there's only one God. Those seven truths I just said are the essence of what we believe as Christians uh, about the Trinity. And we find biblical references that point to all seven of those truths in, in several different ways. And uh, the best summary of it is uh, the word and uh, the understanding of the Trinity. Now, the Trinity as a word is not found in the Bible. Again, those seven doctrines that I just articulated are most certainly found in the Bible. And that's why Orthodox, small o, Christians have been believing in the Trinity uh, ever since, really, the, the, the word of God was revealed to us back in the first century. You, you mentioned uh, receiving communion, Jerry, and in the book, there is that painting by H.A. Ogden's, as you described, a rarely acknowledged painting of George Washington receiving Holy Communion at Morristown, New Jersey, in the spring of 1777. Let's talk about the implications of why why you you and Dr. Loback would put together a book that is nearly 1,200 pages, a third, about a third of the book references, appendices and appendices. What are the implications of this secular, quote-unquote, secular fire versus a sacred fire, deist versus Christian, this controversy? Implications. Well, implications are that uh, do we believe in a God who answers prayer, who hears us and who answers prayer? Well, George Washington certainly did. There were times when George Washington was essentially driven to his knees. There were times when things were so bad uh, as he was trying to lead this ragtag army of farmers and merchants who were ill-equipped, ill-trained, 
um, ill, ill-clothed in some ways, ill-shoed, if that's the right word. <laughs> I mean, the, they say that one out of nine of the the soldiers that George Washington led that when they were in Valley Forge in that miserable freezing winter of 1777 to 1778, one out of nine did not have proper shoes. Sometimes they would you have to use rags or whatever to bundle their feet. And somebody once said you could see in the snow red, you know, marks, the 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 bloody foot tracks of where some of the soldiers had been. I mean, this is such an amazing sacrifice. And George Washington was driven to his knees. He was praying all the time. In fact, there's a famous story. We put in the book, Sacred Fire. Some people want to doubt it, but there's enough to it that we we thought, well, this is the story we're going to put. According to eyewitnesses, there was a Quaker uh, who lived near that area. And he had Quakers, as you know, were pacifists, and they did not pick up arms during the war. They weren't, you know, in favor of the British necessarily. They weren't in favor of the colonists necessarily. They were totally uh, apolitical in that sense. But uh, they certainly didn't participate in the military, you know, unless they left the Quaker faith and then participated. So anyway, bottom line is uh, there was this Quaker man that happened to come across George Washington, uh, who was wrestling in prayer at Valley Forge. And he came back, this this uh, Quaker man did, and to his wife and told her, I think that the American colonists, the American side is going to win this war because there is a God in heaven. And I've heard George Washington pray so earnestly uh, for God's help. You know, George Washington made mandates for the army. Uh, and they were along the lines of there should be no swearing. There should be no drunkenness. People should, the soldiers should go to divine services unless, you know, providentially hindered, for example, through a battle or something like that. That does happen on occasion. And uh, anyway, he said that there should be no gambling. And uh, think about that. And, you know, an army with no cursing, don't take God's name in vain. He felt that how could God bless us? And we need God's blessing if we tempt him with all these terrible things you know, terrible behavior on the on the part of the people. This showed that he really felt that there is a God and he answers prayer and that we need to, uh, you know, this is a righteous cause. We're basically fighting for our lives, fighting for our freedom. Uh, and if if we lose, we'll lose everything. And certainly he would have been hanged if he if they had lost. So would Sam Adams and some of so a couple of other key leaders, John Hancock. So the bottom line is that uh, George Washington felt that, uh, you know, since God is real and God answers prayer and and it's the God of the Bible we're talking about, he was a huge reader of the Bible. And as I say, of the Book of Common Prayer, which is based on biblical you know, passages all over the place. One of my favorite parts of the book, and I give all the credit to this part, to Dr. Loback, it's Appendix 2. And it's George Washington and the Bible, and it it it's 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 dull reading, but it's really important reference. What he did was he showed how George Washington's writings and his speeches, private and public, are replete. They are filled with biblical phrases and and words and 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 teachings and so forth. It's as if you cut the man that is George Washington, he would bleed scripture. He knew it so well. Yet Paul Bowler, the guy that uh, wrote this book on George Washington's religion, which unfortunately set a, 
you know, a very negative tone and casts a great deal of doubt needlessly about the the true Christian faith of George Washington. He said George Washington only once referred to the Bible, and he did so in a negative way. And as uh, Dr. Lilbeck was doing the initial research for this book, he said, either Paul Bowler is lying or he does not know the Bible. I mean, look at this. George Washington is constantly using phrases that come right out of the Bible. And his favorite quote, by the way, George Washington's favorite quote from the Bible, uh, is a phrase that you find in Micah 4.4 and even a couple of other places. And every man shall be able to rest under his own vine and fig tree. George Washington loved that phrase because to him, that was a, a picture of what America could be, that here in this country, you can, you know, each person can rest under, under their own vine and fig tree. Enough of the anti, you know, religious persecution that was going on in the old world. We need to have a place here where people can be free uh, to believe as, as they wish. He even wrote a few letters to synagogues in America and he was so grateful that here in America, the Jews could find a place of haven and every man could rest under his own vine and fig tree. So to say that George Washington didn't believe in the Trinity, didn't believe in the Bible, didn't believe in a God who answers prayer, it, it honestly, it, it flies against the facts. And there's more facts too. And in fact, it took us 1,200 pages to show those facts. <laughs> but, but even as you pointed out earlier, you need a magnifying glass to read the references. We made the footnotes, or the endnotes, actually, uh, smaller just so we could have more text in the book and not make it too big. And when we talk about those references that Dr. Lilbeck put together, the representative— In, in Appendix uh, 2, Biblical yes. quotations. I mean, that, we're talking about 20 pages of a relative fine print that are there, one after the other— you're listening to Dr. Jerry Newcomb. Dr. Jerry Newcomb is the is is the co-author, along with Dr. Peter Loback, of the book George Washington Sacred Fire. It's available at Amazon.com. You can find out more at JerryNewcomb.com about Providence Forum and his his ministries, his writing, the impact of this man that we have with us today, Dr. Jerry Newcomb. When we come back from our break, more from Jerry. We talk about prayer. How many prayers have been handwritten by Washington? Well, George Washington's Sacred Fire by Lilbach and Newcomb says that there were over 100 prayers handwritten by George Washington. We'll be back with more. Stay with us. JerryNewcomb.com. Okay, stay with us. We'll be right back. Wondering the road of desperate life Hi, this is Danny Yamashiro. In what way have you seen God work powerfully in your life? Do you have a story to share about God's provision and deliverance? Have you experienced God's healing? Do you have a testimony that will encourage others? 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. I want to share your story on our radio podcast. Please visit drdanny.live and share your Jesus story by clicking on the link at the top left of the home page. If you'd like to share your testimony in the form of a letter, send your correspondence to Formation Institute, 
P.O. Box 381-222, Cambridge, Massachusetts, 02238. That's Formation Institute, P.O. Box 381-222, Cambridge, Massachusetts, 02238. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience The Good Life today. Robert P. George, McCormick Professor of Jurisprudence and Director of the James Madison Program in American Ideals and Institutions at Princeton. He says, Dr. Lilbach buries the myth that Washington was an unbeliever, at most a deist, under an avalanche of facts. He's talking about the book, George Washington's Sacred Fire by Dr. Peter Lilback and Dr. Jerry Newcomb. Dr. Newcomb is with us today. You can find out more about him and this book, Amazon.com. You can get it there and at JerryNewcomb.com. Jerry, Washington's terms, great disposer of events. Invisible Hand, Jehovah, Providence, which was his favorite. Why these terms? Well, first of all, it was a common custom of the day. Even among the you know evangelicals, they would use phrases like that. It was the Baroque era, and uh, part of the idea there was to kind of almost use ideas, a a phraseology about God showing him in in absolute magnificent terms. But the interesting thing is uh, the the most famous unbeliever among the founding fathers, the founding fathers to a man, most of them were absolutely uh, Trinitarian Christians, although you could find a couple of Unitarians here and there. But that and there were some that became Unitarians later. But bottom line is, uh, the most famous unbeliever and skeptic of them is Thomas Paine. But even he, earlier, was a professing Christian. When he wrote Common Sense, he refers in positive ways to God and the Word of God and the laws of God and so forth. But later, he did lose his faith, and he wrote a terrible book when he was caught up in the ideas of the French Revolution, uh, and he was over there in Paris. And he wrote a book called The Age of Reason, 1793. They're about anti-God, anti-Christian book. And Dr. Lilbeck points out, look, when he talks about God, he just uses the word God, Lord, Jesus Christ. And it's about that. You know, that that's it, about it. But they said, you look at the evangelicals of the day, uh, Samuel Davies, Samuel Miller, or whatever, and you see the same kind of phraseology that George Washington would often use, that, that kind of highfalutin uh Again, Baroque, you know what I mean by Baroque? If you listen to the music of Handel and Bach, both of those composers were Baroque. And, you know, you don't just have a, you know, uh, sheep, what's the, what's the phrase? You know, all we like sheep have gone astray. You know, uh, Handel doesn't say all, you know, all we like sheep have gone astray. And then he goes on to the next thing. It's more like, you know, all we... Like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And, you know, and it's just you, you can almost see hear the music just sort of gamboling all over the place, you know, as part of the Baroque style. It's just very ornate. I, that's probably the best word to use, mm-hmm. ornate and fancy. 
and it's not our style today, but it, it, it is incorrect to impose on George Washington or other Christians of the day that they have to use our chosen words for God and so forth. These are words of great respect. George Washington, in fact, one thing Dr. Lobeck notes is that when George Washington, according to many eyewitnesses, when he would, they would, everybody would stand up in the Anglican church. So this is the church he went to most of his life, uh, except during those war years. Uh, and then he returned to the Anglican church after the war. And when, when they would read the Apostles' Creed and, and George Washington would say the name of Jesus, according to eyewitnesses, says Dr. Lobeck, they could they could often see George Washington bow his head in respect to the name of Jesus. There's something special about that name. And you were asking me about prayers. There's an appendix in the book about a hundred different prayers that George Washington wrote or said that they're found either in speeches or in writings. But let me give one really important example. It's just tremendous. It, there was a letter that George Washington, as the commander-in-chief of the armies, who led, by God's grace, successfully, as I say, a ragtag army of farmers and merchants and so forth, against the most powerful army and navy on earth at that time, that of Great Britain, and prevailed by God's grace. And so he writes a letter. It's called The Circular to the States. It was in June of 1783. And in this letter to all the governors of the states, he lists all kinds of different things that you know that he thinks is are very very important. And at the end of the prayer or the end of the letter, he basically closes with a prayer. He paraphrases Micah six eight. He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of thee, but to do justly and to do love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. And what he does is he he basically says, I now make it my earnest prayer that God will allow you and the state you provide over to. Uh, you know, and then he he paraphrases Micah six eight, but applies it to Jesus Christ, and he says, above all, what we need to have here in America is a humble imitation of the divine author of our blessed religion, and if we don't have that, we will not have a happy nation. George Washington is basically saying, and this is a very famous letter. Just you Google it, circular to the states, seventeen eighty three. And read the very last paragraph. George Washington is saying, America will not be a happy nation unless America learns to humbly imitate Jesus Christ, the divine author of our blessed religion. He doesn't use the word Jesus Christ. He says divine author of our blessed religion. Everybody knew that's who he's talking about. And so uh, I just think that's so fascinating. You know, Dr. Danny, let me ask you two questions. Is America imitating jesus christ right now we've got a long ways to go jerry yes uh, you're absolutely right and the second question is uh is america a happy nation and the answer is no no and no and and uh but he george washington has shown us the path and i think that's that's fantastic and let, let me say one other thing about this the fancy words of god and so forth fancy words as applied to god appendix one in George Washington's Sacred Fire, written by Dr. Lobach and me, has what are known as George Washington's maxims. They're often called that. He didn't write them. He didn't invent them. Uh, they were written about a century before he was born. 
They were written by a Jesuit, it is understood from but they contain a lot of biblical-based teaching. And these maxims were something that he got early on in his life, and he applied them to his life. And one of those 119 uh, proverbs for living is something along these lines of when you speak of God, speak in exalted terms. You know, don't uh, don't just in this other words, don't take God's name in, in vain. Don't don't just use only common words uh, for the Lord our God. You know, he because he's so holy and exalted. Again, I'm paraphrasing, but George Washington really applied those maxims to his life, including this reverence that he had towards God. And that included reverence toward understanding that Jesus is God. Jerry, when we, when we come back from our break, there are a couple things to talk about further, and one of them being spiritual influences in Washington's life. Say, when he was a boy, when he was growing up, were there, were there people in his life that influenced him in his faith? And this idea of, of chaplains, you know, why did George Washington insist on having chaplains? That, and I think we also should make a point because of it, when we speak about his faith, when we speak about him as a Christian, there, there is, there is writing, there is, there are conversations on a personality disorder that he, he may have had. There may be, well, of him owning slaves. I think we should just at least touch on that when we come back. But I also want, as we typically do at the end of our final segment, spend some time in prayer. How did his, George Washington's Christian faith, make a difference to him in times of great challenge? And I, I'd like to use that as a launching point if you, Dr. Jerry Newcomb, will pray for our listeners as, let's say, George Washington might have prayed. More from Dr. Jerry Newcomb when we come back. Stay with us. Wandering the road of desperate life Famously beneath the barren sky Leave it to me I'll lead you home Hi, this is Danny Yamashiro. A woman in Boston recently told me, I listen to your program every day and was inspired by the man who became an NFL quarterback. A person in Orlando said, I heard your podcast of the man who came to God during the Jesus movement. Another friend said, That pastor who gave one of his organs to a boy without ever meeting the child touched me about Jesus' love. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is made possible through financial partners. Would you consider sending a gift to keep our program going? Podcasts have been downloaded in 49 states and 35 nations in the last six months. Please help us expand our reach. Go to drdanny.live and click support this media ministry. That's drdanny.live and click support this media ministry. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny. 
a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. Dr. James Kurth of the Department of Political Science at Swarthmore says of Lil Back and Newcomb's number one national bestseller, that it provides comprehensive evidence and penetrating arguments which demonstrate that Washington was indeed a consistent Christian, and in particular, that his religious beliefs were those typical of a devout, low-church Episcopalian in 18th century Virginia. James Kurth is speaking about the book George Washington's Sacred Fire by Dr. Peter Lilback and Dr. Jerry Newcomb. Dr. Newcomb joins us today. You can find out more about the book Find out more about the ministry of Jerry Newcomb at jerrynewcomb.com. The book is available at amazon.com and other other retail outlets. I'd encourage you to uh, to delve in. You'll be you'll be you'll be you'll be filled with the research that was done and has been provided for you. Jerry, before our break I had mentioned a couple things just to touch on at least this idea of George Washington's personality disorder and also him as a Christian owning slaves. Well, let me deal with the slavery issue. George Washington first. George Washington was a fourth century, I mean, fourth generation Virginia landowner farmer, gentleman farmer. And unfortunately, in that day, they had slavery. And George Washington came to uh, disagree with the institution in general, and he came to have a kind of a Christian conscience about this, and he decided in good faith that at least at, upon his death, he freed his slaves, all that he had uh, you know, access to free, and made provision for them. If more people had followed George Washington's example, we might have, uh, you know, had a, a, a more peaceful way to end slavery in America than the bloody Civil War. But I just find that very interesting. I mean, George Washington did that before the successful uh, anti-slavery crusade that William Wilberforce led in England, uh, you know, around the same time. In fact, when Wilberforce, William Wilberforce, that's the man I'm referring to here, member of parliament, for 50 years fought against the slave trade and ultimately was successful, number one, in you know uprooting the slave trade, getting it stopped, again, member of parliament, so we're talking about England here, and then number two, he uh, got slavery to be abolished in the entire British Empire. It's absolutely tremendous accomplishment by the grace of God. He did this with, with some friends, a coterie of friends and so forth. When George, when William Wilberforce died, he was called the George Washington of humanity. So in other words, that phrase, the George Washington of humanity was a, a good thing. Uh, and, and how George Washington's reputation has become sullied in our time. You know, some of those statues that people were toppling or uh, they were defacing and so forth. Some of them included statues of George Washington, uh, who, as I said earlier, he sacrificed so that we might become a free nation. And, you know, and this is how a, 
a grateful nation, uh, you know, repays him. I mean, obviously, we should be grateful, but but obviously, many many Americans are not. In effect, what they're doing is they're they're trying to you know impose on Washington, uh, you know, today's standards and so forth. It's like the example of you know some of these people is on, on a lesser scale. Some of the people trying to take the writings of uh, Ruald Dahl, who died just 30 years ago or 20 years ago or whatever, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And, oh, you can't call a kid fat. That that might hurt his feelings. Well, you know, part of the doll is pay, making the point that, you know, it's not good to be gluttonous and, and greedy for food or other things like that. You know, so anyway, we're at a time right now where cancel culture and the woke ideology rears its ugly head and tries to cancel uh, in many cases, great heroes of the past. Even Abraham Lincoln is not safe from that. It, you're you're broadcasting in Boston. I understand that there was a statue removed, not at least not by a mob, but it was a statue of Lincoln that was removed because they felt that uh, it was, you know, supposedly. I don't know. I I don't understand the 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 all the the things of cancer culture. But but bottom line is, future generations are going to judge us, Danny. They're going to say, well, where did this person stand on the issue of abortion? Oh, you're saying that this person was a great person, yet this person, this person su supported abortion on demand in a day when they had 4D sonograms? Are you kidding me? You, you see what I'm saying, Danny? In other words, and, and, you know, I guess the bottom line is the present generation can always judge the past. And they can use the most stringent criteria. And, you know, some people even judge Jesus Christ. There was a statue of Jesus Christ that was beheaded in Miami just, uh, you know, half a year ago or so uh, or thereabouts. Anyway, bottom line is I, I think that George Washington's developing view, his his uh, growth and maturity towards slavery. In other words, his 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 eschewing is disagreeing with slavery by the end of his life. I think that's a beautiful thing. And I think that uh, was a model uh, for people to follow. As far as his personality is concerned, I, I think that if George Washington came off as aloof, uh, part of it had to do with those maxims that I mentioned earlier. Read Appendix 1. You can get those online, by the way, the maxims of George Washington. I believe, again, there's about 119 of them. But part of the whole idea was just show respect towards others. And uh, he would not, George Washington would not be in the category of, you know, a touchy-feely kind of guy. But he was the leader that America needed at the time. And as I say, he sacrificed everything so we might be free. So uh, I, I thank God for George Washington, for his Christian commitment and uh, his his leadership by which we have the freedom to even have this discussion, Dr. Danny. Why did he insist? And I'm leading to this in regards to prayer, because I'd like for you to pray for our listeners, Jerry. Why did George Washington insist on having chaplains? Oh, he believed that chaplains were, were a, a pivotal part of the whole army. Uh, as I said earlier, he felt that God wouldn't help us as a nation if if the army was cursing or gambling or uh, you know, not going to services when they could, divine services, in other words, Christian worship, reading the Bible, et cetera. And so uh, he wanted to see chaplains systematically, um, you know, employed throughout the army as early as, as they could be done. And he wanted the same thing for the legislature as well. He believed very strongly 
that if if we were going to win this thing, the odds were so much against us, it would only be the hand of God. And uh, he was right. So and, this, and so you know, the, he said we should be grateful to God because of this. This traces us back to one's upbringing. Who were his influencers spiritually when he was growing up? Well, I would say a lot of the influencers were uh, the Christian people around him. Uh, and in fact, for example, the early education that he got, which stopped abruptly when his father died at the age of 11, when George was 11, uh, the that Christian education was very helpful. Then he transferred over a lot to, to uh, since he could read and write, to uh, those study those maxims a great deal, studied the Bible and the Church of uh, England's Book of Common Prayer. I mean, the, these are some of the most important influences in his life. Dr. Lilbeck points out how he regularly at Mount Vernon would entertain ministers and have them come over uh, for fellowship. And he and his wife, Martha, would often read on Sunday afternoons, Sunday evenings. They would receive and collect sermons. George Washington had several different sermons from different ministers. And he wrote to these ministers and he'd say things like, I have perused you know, your message, by the way, back then perused meant I've read it and not, you know, not just like skimmed it, you know, and, and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. What about, Speed read it. what about his but mother? Anyway, and he, he, he approved their message, you know, and found it quite sound. Mm. Mm -hmm. Is his mother, Mary Ball Washington, what kind of relationship? Oh yeah. That's, have? that is probably the, you know, I'm glad you mentioned Mary Ball, his mother after, uh, his dad died. Mary Ball meant so much to him and, and definitely led him in the Christian way. And the Bible was extremely important in that household. And George Washington went on to, to carry on the same tradition. When he was sworn in as the first president under the U.S. Constitution, he's the one who brought in the Bible and had, it, had himself sworn in on it, said, so help me God. He even leaned over and kissed the Holy Bible. A part of those traditions that is swearing in on the Bible and saying, so help me God, that comes from George Washington himself, which, by the way, was part of the Anglican tradition in uh, the Commonwealth of Virginia at the time. A prayer. We talk about chaplains, how important they were. Mary Ball Washington, his mother, influences in his life at a young age. A time for prayer someone may be going through a challenge. I'd like to do something. How, Jerry Newcomb, how do you feel or think George Washington might have prayed for those he cared for? Do you sort of pray in that way to the extent of what you've learned about him? Right, but I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, if you don't mind, I'll bypass the King James English, which you would have prayed <laughs> in the King, King James English. <laughs> not, but what, what not, you're not asking me to do style, is, right? it, how about if we pray for the nation uh, along the lines of what George Washington would have liked? That sounds is that good. okay? That sounds good, Jerry. Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, as an American living in the 21st century, I just want to say thank you for the Christian witness of George Washington, that when the truth is told and, and when we um, cut through all the lies and the myths, we see here was a man that was devout 
and who gave himself over to you and gave the the cause of of America over to you and recognize that without your help, this is not going to happen. And you did help and it did happen. We thank you so much for America and the freedoms that it promises. But now, Lord, we see that we're really in, in, in great danger as a nation. We have absolutely gone astray. We are going the wrong way, heading the wrong direction. Even many of our fellow Americans feel that same way. And I pray, Lord, we will remember the words of your servant, George Washington, when he said that we can never hope to be a happy nation unless we imitate you, Jesus Christ, the divine author of our blessed religion. So we want to pray, dear God, that just as there was revival in Virginia, in Massachusetts, all up and down the eastern seaboard coast around the time that George Washington was living in the First Great Awakening, and then there was a revival in the Second Great Awakening, which ultimately led, helped lead to the ending of slavery, the great evil that, uh, that did exist in America. We want to pray, God, that you would send a new third great awakening, that you would stir up people all around this whole country, God, to turn back to you. And as George Washington put it, to imitate you, Jesus Christ, because you are worthy of imitation. Uh, we should accept no imitations. You alone, Jesus Christ, are the one we should follow as Savior and Lord. We remember what you have done for us on our behalf on the cross and how you sealed the deal when you rose from the dead and walked out of that tomb. Oh, God, please take America, which is virtually not dead, but dying. Take America and breathe in a, into us new life. Make these dead, dry, dead bones come alive again. Oh, God, that we may serve you and glorify you, that more and more Christians may be awake and alive to our civic responsibility, to be salt and light in this culture, to, to live out America as a city on a hill, as those before George Washington even envisioned it, about a hundred years before, again, based on your holy word. Oh God, change America so that we may love you again and truly be one nation under God, where our motto is in God we trust, which it is in God we trust, but do we really? Please God, let it be so that that you are indeed our God here in America, Lord. Oh, please send a great revival and send a great transformation and reformation in the wake of that revival, that uh, that we may apply your holy word to all of our lives and indeed become a happy nation by imitating Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Jerry. Thank you for praying, lifting up your heart, your cries of your heart to the Lord our God. Insights from Thank Dr. Jerry Newcomb, jerrynewcomb.com, my friend. God's timing is perfect, and there's no better time than right now to share the love of Jesus with someone near you. And look, if you haven't done so, hey, this might be that perfect moment for you to open your heart to Christ. Go to drdanny.live for next steps and find resources to reach family and friends. Micah 4, verse 4, everyone will sit under their own vine and their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. It's always a blessing to be with you. Thank you to Dr. Jerry Newcomb, jerrynewcomb.com. 
Until next time, along with my producer, Brian Torres, social media director, Luke Yamashiro, guest coordinator, Jan Yi, and board operator, Joseph Valdivieso. I'm Danny Yamashiro. Remember, the Lord is with you as you share the love of Jesus with someone today. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of The Good Life with Dr. Danny. We hope that today's program has been a blessing for you and that you may find hope in hearing how God's Word affects people from all walks of life. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is a listener-supported program, and we'd like for you to prayerfully consider becoming a sponsor or donor. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. That's drdanny.live. Be sure to tune in weekdays at 6 p.m. to hear The Good Life with Dr. Danny. Until next time, may God richly bless you with The Good Life.